Thank you, Jesus, for hot weather so that we can perspire <laughs> and cool down. Come on, anyone enjoying the weather? That was, that was not very convincing. So I mean, like, nah. All the ones that said yes had an air con um, and some fans at home. Come on. Guys, uh, we're in our second week of our series, our four-part series we, we're preaching, and it's called Better Together, and it's our relationship series. So welcome here this morning. It's so good to have you with us. I'm going to be preaching on the topic of the fruit of a healthy relationship, the fruit of a healthy relationship. How many of you love fruit in this room? Come on, fruit eaters. Wow, we've actually got a lot. I was telling the earliest service when I was younger, I'm not a massive fruit eater, I'll be honest. <laughs> I actually rather prefer like a toasted sandwich or, um, or like a Big Mac, actually. That's not very healthy, but uh, my mom used to, when I was younger, I'd be like, Mom, I'm hungry. There's nothing in the cupboard. She's like, eat a fruit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want a fruit. Um, but yeah, fruit is healthy for you, but the fruit is only as healthy as the root that grows that fruit, Right? Come on, and so we're going to talk a bit about this, and I'm going to be using some lessons from the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. He inspires me. He's like a spiritual father to me. Every I feel like I know him so well as I spend time through the text and the Word of God. But um, I'm going to get to the Scripture a bit later, but I'm going to be talking out of Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can already make your way to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, if you're on your phones, you can scroll there, and we'll get to that Scripture in just a bit. But I want to start with a question. And I need all of your attention for this. So if I have all of your attention, why don't you give me some snaps so I can see who's in the house. Come on. All right, at least 50% of you. Praise Jesus for that. I will take the 50%. Okay, here's the question. What do you want most out of life? Wow, Dita, that's a deep question. But I'm going to let you stew on that for a while and we'll come back to that question in a moment. But why don't you think about that question as we carry on. What do you want most out of life. If, if I could tell you, you, you could have it right now and we could get it to you, what would you want most out of life? But while you're thinking about that, I want to pull up a slide. Do you, are you guys aware that um, there's a revival going on in America at the moment? How many of you are aware that there's a revival in the next generation, the Gen Z? Uh, we've, I've got a slide up there for the Osbury revival that's currently taking place. How many of you are aware of this? Just a quick wave. How many are aware of it? I guess there's a good few aware of this revival that's taking place. So on the 8th of February, just to let you know, there was a small Methodist chapel on Osbury University. They decided to have an hour service, normal, standard Sunday service. After the service, a few people needed prayer and came up for prayer. Spontaneous worship continued to break out. They have not stopped praying and worshiping for 24 hours over the last 10 days. Currently, right now, they are continuing to pray, to worship. Not only is this affecting Osbury, people are flying in from all parts of America. Louis Giglo put something on his post where he was there. He came, he couldn't believe it. He said, I have to get on a plane and go and see this. There are some of the best preachers in the world that are making their way there because there's a revival burning. Not only is it burning, it's now starting to spread throughout the rest of America. There are varsities around America where people are breaking out in worship and prayer and declaration and uh, giving God all the honor. And it reminds me of that scripture in Joel's chapter 2 from verse 28 where it actually says that I will pour out my spirit. And this is God speaking. As you just get that picture for a moment as you 
can we like just mentally picture that auditorium full of people that, that God is pouring out His Spirit on all mankind, on sons and daughters, and they will prophesy, and the old men will dream dreams, and the young men will see visions. Come on, that is currently happening, and I really believe that that's an answer to prayer, and we should be excited about that, guys. We should be like, if we really are excited to see the, 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 the witnessing of the gospel moving forward, then we should be excited about that. We should have a desire to have that same outpouring right here in our auditorium. Who's up for 24 hours? <laughs> Whoa, okay. I, you know what I was looking at? What are the ingredients needed to actually have a revival like this? And you know what it needs? This desire to realize that you're a sinner. And that both individually and corporately, you want to confess and then worship God. This desire to see witness of Jesus Christ to the world actually needs to burn hard in our hearts. It's to magnify the Lord our God wherever we go, whether you're at work, whether you're in the shops, no matter what you're doing and you're getting up, you're going to sleep, you're glorifying God in everything that you do. And then we need to experience God's dwelling in our hearts as we honor Him and give Him glory. Those are the ingredients to a revival. And what I love about a revival is it's a great picture of what the church should be doing. It's a great picture of passion of where the church should be going. And so what I just told you could either inform you that there's a revival happening. It could inspire you to do something or it could transform you. Because I really believe that God wants to transform. I really believe that He wants to pour His Spirit out here this morning and our communities, on our countries and everywhere. But it's something powerful happens when we get together in relationship. You can see that even David says in the Psalms 133.1 where he says how, how awesome it is, how good and pleasant it is when God's people who live together come together in unity. There is power in unity because there's healing when we come and worship the name of God in that moment. There is freedom that happens. And that's what is occurring in America right now. And I pray it over our South Africa every single day. Unity is power because it, it, it says that where there's unity, God commands the blessing. Not only on you, but God commands the blessing on your family. God commands the blessing on your, your business. God commands the blessing on your church. God commands the blessing because wherever you foot your step, God is going to command a blessing when we come together as fellow believers in unity and worship. Make it about Him and glorify Him. And so there's power in relationships. When we work together, there's something powerful when as a church we come and we work together. You know why? Because the moments we can come together can change our forever. And I said this during the five by five worship nights, but the moments that we can come together on something in unity and glorify God, there, the presence of the Holy Spirit, breakthrough starts to happen. Things start to change in people. Where there was no hope, there becomes hope. Where there was no freedom, shackles start to fall from people's feet. And I believe that it's only God that makes that movement. But He desires nothing more than for us to come together in relationship. And so back to the question, what do you want out of life? What do you want most out of life? I guarantee if I went around with a mic now, a lot of you would be talking about relationships. Improved relationships. You know why? On people's deathbeds, the question's asked. The most important question asked at that person's deathbed is, the, is like, 
What's your last thoughts? And you know what those last thoughts are? There's normally two. Was I loved and did I love? Your, whatever you accumulate in earth is going to fade away. But love and relationship is something that continues to grow. You know, there's an old saying that actually says, a poor man with a loving family and a, a good friend is far richer than a rich man with poor relationally. The Bible ranks healthy relationships as the most important thing. I'll tell you why. A Jewish religious expert asked Jesus this question from verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 36. He said, teacher, where, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And it goes on to say, then Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest of commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. A loving relationship with God is first and foremost most important in our lives. But second to that is a relationship with each other. God puts emphasis on relationship with us because two are better than one. Two can get more for its return than one can, the Bible tells us. Just as a triple-bearded cord comes together and Jesus is that centered cord that holds us together, we can get further together. A loving relationship is important, but it does sting sometimes when we see Christians actually going at each other. Why is that? Why do we sometimes have these frubles in our families, even though we are Christians, when we know that the most important part is relationship? Sometimes, I mean, some, all of us get to a space where we actually have arguments. You know what? That happens in our church staff too. <laughs> Just want to let you know, you know why? Because we have different characters. And sometimes when you take this beautiful thing like different characters and different experiences and different backgrounds and you bring it back together in a mengel mousse, that's a South African word, mengel mousse. Okay, when you bring it together, it does, it does cause a bit of clashing. But remember, God didn't call us to conformity. He called us to community. And so even though we are different, our relationships, our love for God and love for each other should allow us to mend those and work through it. And so Paul actually in his text that I'm going to be talking out of Colossians chapter 3 this morning actually talks about the prescription for healthy relationships. If you continuously practice these things that we, Paul is going to talk about today in our lives, I believe that not only will it change the other person's approach towards you when you, you speak to them in these practical manners, it'll change everyone that you come into contact with. So I know some of you are probably thinking, yeah, Tita, I get that. Um, healthy relationships <laughs> take two to tango, right? It's easier said than done. But Paul actually tells us that we are to... Because you can say, yeah, but Dita, you don't know my relationship. That other person. How many times do we try and change the other person in the relationship rather than just going to the shortcut, change ourselves? God, change me first. You see, how many of us want the fruit of a wonderful relationship, but we never go to the root, which is in our backyards, and start to focus on what we can change? Because you can never change anybody else before you can change yourself. 
And so today we want to talk about the root. Paul's going to challenge us to actually focus and look internally as we build relationships out externally. In the book of Romans, he talks about this love in action. And Paul challenges us in the book of Romans. He tells us to, I love it, like there's so many times. How many times does he tell us to bless those who persecute you? Like somebody smashes into your car, and you're like, bless them, Lord. And their wonderful car. Some of us react differently. I want to tell you something. You know what? 90% of life, 10% of life, 10%, actually is going to happen to you no matter what. 90% is how you're going to choose to react. And that's because that's an internal thing. It's not an external thing. And we aren't here to change other people. And so Paul actually tells us in Romans uh, 12, 17, and I'm going to pull up Romans 12, 18 now. In 17, he says, do not repay evil for evil um, with anybody else. But he uses this point. He says, if it is possible, I'm going to ask you guys to do something with me. There's a yellow word there, and we're all going to read it out at the same time together. Can we do that? Okay, cool. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know that this is, we struggle with these concepts because this is a worldly concept says, I've got to give back. I've got vengeance. But the word of God that I read tells me that God is the God. Of, I, he, does, he takes care of justice. I don't have to do that myself. But I've got to pay it forward. I've got to play, love people, care for people. And so my first point this morning, I believe that Paul is teaching us out of the scripture. And it's, oh, by the way, I've only got one point. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> One point in a 24-hour sermon, all right. One point is this. Paul is pointing at, out that unity starts with you. Unity starts with you. That's my one point. We can all go home now. Paul is trying to teach us that before we get to the healthy fruit of relationship, it's got to start with the root. And we've got to look internally before we start to look at fixing things. And sometimes, no matter what you do, some people are hard to get along with, right? Looks at the person next to you and say, not you. Not you. But often if we treat a difficult person with these qualities that Paul's going to talk about, it'll change that situation. And people may still have an issue with you, but I believe that it'll also change you in that situation. And so I want three practical steps in unity starts with you. Just three quick step, practical steps. The first one is, today we're going to kill something. Look to the person behind you or in front of you and just say, I hope not you. I hope not you. Today we're going to kill something. We're going to realize something and we're going to put something on. And so first thing, just quickly, let's jump in. What do we need to put to death? Well, Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your, your earthly nature. This is a hectic. I'm about to go hectic on you right now. Okay, this is going to sting a little bit. Okay, so just permission to sting. Not me, but the Word of God. What are these things that He wants us to put to death? Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Paul he starts by using this powerful word put to death. It's almost like a guillotine put to death. The Greek word is actually called nekrostet. Okay, it means to like literally put to death. It's like you got the death sentence and we're gonna put to death. Paul needs us to put these things to death. He doesn't need us to think about putting them to death. He's actually encouraging us that what we gotta put to death is the fact that we shouldn't let our bodies lead ourselves. Too many times in these sexual sins, we allow our bodies to lead ourselves. And Paul is actually saying, do you realize that this is never gonna allow you to get into a relationship with God that he intended for you? Know that these things are gonna have an effect on any other relationship around you. So you gotta put it to death. Sexual immorality. And you know, sexual immorality is just... The, the, this industry is growing crazy at the moment. And to, the enemy's using this industry to put a grip on so many men, women. Do you know that there's child trafficking that is linked to this? It is disgusting and it's not of God. This does not exist in heaven. So it's something we've got to drop off now. It's something that we don't only need to take off our lives. It's something we need to kill. It's something that has to stay in the ground and stay dead. Because this is what Paul is encouraging us to do in this instance. And you know, sexual immorality, I'm just going to go there because premarital sex is a sin. I'm going to let you know. If you're not married and you're having premarital sex, you can repent and move from this, but it is a sin. I'm just going to preach it to you. If you don't mind, I'm going to be the preacher that's actually going to say the thing that should not be said. But actually, it's something that you have to put to death. It's going to affect your relationship with others. It's going to affect your relationship with God. Let's quickly go through the other ones. Paul talks about uncleanliness, which is impurities. This is a general sin. It could just be evil thoughts towards somebody else. Paul goes in third, he talks about passions like lust. These are inappropriate cravings that aren't cravings that draw you closer to God. These are cravings that take you further than you wanted to go and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Jeez, I feel like I'm preaching now. Cheer but I, I get passionate because Paul's actually, it's, he, he, he doesn't, he needs you to get the seriousness of it. Because I think some of us, we try and plant over this stuff and we go, let's never deal with that because it's awkward. I want to be a bit awkward this morning. Okay, so evil desires um, <laughs> and also goes on to idolatry, which is covetousness, looking at your neighbor's thing and wanting what they want. Why does Paul tell us to put this to death? Because he knows what Jesus has already done. He's given us, taken the sting from death. He knows that these, you know the deathly things stink? Anyone hang around death things? It stinks. This stuff stinks in your life and it'll never get into heaven with you. So we need to get rid of it. It actually has to be taken away from you. But Jesus says, I don't need you to do it on your own. You see, I'm the one. Where sin abounds, my grace abounds even more. Where you can't do it, I can. And all you need to do is you need to realize something. So not only do we need to put something to death, not only do we need to kill something, we need to realize something. What do we need to realize? Colossians chapter 3, 12 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I love that scripture. Three powerful things in his preface towards the scripture that I'm going to share with you now. Three powerful things that stand out about the scripture is one, is that God has graciously chosen us in love to be set apart for himself. Why does he need you to put that away? Because he knows that your relationship with God can't grow with those things. And he needs you to realize something. 
that you're chosen and you're loved by God. Ephesians 1 verses 4 to 5 encourages me every time I read it. Uh, you've probably heard me quote it about a million times. It says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, before the first grain of sand. You know that you were thought of by God? He loved you. Before the first star was put into the ground, He really thought of you by name. He knows how many hairs you're going to have on your head when you are 56 years old. in creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us. He adopted us into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure. I don't know about you, but this truth should encourage you as a believer that you are no accident. You are, can we go back to that scripture in Colossians chapter 3, 12? You're chosen. You're not an accident, you're chosen. He chose you before you chose Him. He cares about you. Secondly, holy. The word holy means you are set apart. When Jesus died on the cross and you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, He not only, He has created a way for you to go over and conquer sin, but He's actually set you apart. You are mine. And lastly, you are blessedly in loved. But why does Paul mention these three things? Chosen, holy, and beloved in the context of talking about relationship. Why does He do that? Well, first, I believe there's two things. Firstly, it's not easy to kill those selfish things that He's asking us to kill. I don't know about you, but how many have struggled to get rid of that stuff? Hey, that stuff just keeps sucking you in. It's like a pit. You kind of get, God, I don't want this, but I keep being drawn back to this. anger, practicing these Christian characters that we need to, I reckon the first thing is it's easier when I remember how God loved me and chose me and when I was at my dirtiest, still loved me, still chose me and still continues to choose me. And I believe that when I remember that I'm chosen, that I'm set apart, there's something special about that. It means I can overcome those things. The second thing is you see, Seeing myself as an object of God's grace and His, His sovereign love sets, and the fact that I'm set apart frees me to love every one of those who are very difficult to love. Let's be honest, sometimes there's gonna be people that are difficult to love, but I believe that if you have the grace of God flowing through you and the love of God flowing through you, you are gonna love others. You are gonna bless those that curse you. You are gonna be the one that actually turns it around. When actually the world says, react, retaliate, retaliate, you're gonna get on your knees and you're gonna pray for a blessing that God changed their heart. God turned them. Well, they are your children. They're also chosen. You set them apart too. Don't you wanna remind them of your love? Won't your presence fill them? and change their lives. It's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought to think that. But I want to tell you, but if, my, if I'm secure, I actually want to read this part to you. You see, if I'm dependent on other person's response for my security, I'll, I won't risk loving somebody that rejects me. I'll never risk loving somebody. If I have to wait for to be secure because of your response. You're never gonna love other people. But if I'm securing God's love, I'm free to love those 
who don't even love me in return. I can continue to have a gracious love, a love that, God, that loves like no other. If someone insults me, yes, it'll still hurt, but I realise that God has taught me to re- repay things with blessings. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to those who were called so they may inherit the blessing. Our call is not to react. For Christians, revenge is not an option. And that's what Paul's saying here, is that God's treatment of us is the basis of our treatment of how we should treat others. You were once a sinner separated from God. You were the one that insulted Him, but yet He still chose you. When you were still a sinner, He chose you. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you because He loves you and cares for you. So not only do we need to put something to death and not only do we realize something quickly in closing, what do we need to put on? Well, I love this scripture because verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievance against somebody else, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. Paul has this antidote over here. He starts to talk about a wardrobe. I don't know, there were John Molly. I used to be a retailer and John Molly wrote this book called Dress for Success in the 1970s. And it was all about how what you wear has an influence on your relationships with other people. You, you know, that like when somebody says your first impressions last. Everybody's heard that. That's all come from those books. But I want to tell you something. The best book that can teach you how to dress for success is not a clothing book about apparel. It's the Bible because it doesn't teach you about apparel. It teaches you about an attitude. It teaches you to put a wardrobe of a well-dressed Christian on that people can actually see God's glory shine through. You know, my, my sister was younger um, like she's no different to a lot of kids, but she was into that like heavy metal stuff. <laughs> like I'm pretty much a jazzy person myself. Like I'm like ching chuck a ching. She like so she used to wear this like short stuff with fishnets and I don't know. It was wacky. I'm not judging her, but being judgey, but. But it was wacky. And so she, I remember like Sivvy's day, she would come out with this stuff and these boots and this black makeup and these nails. And my mother says, uh-uh, go back. You're not going out like that. Because she loved her enough to know that other people were gonna have bad intentions about that. She loved her enough to know. I, Paul is telling us, uh-uh, go back to your closet. Take those things off. Put them to death. Go back to your closet because I've got my best intentions for you. I need you to get dressed in a way that your Father needs to be glorified. And we've got to go as Christians and undress those things, put them to death, realize how much God loves us and step into a new wardrobe. We need to start to put on the wardrobe that God has in store for us. And the first thing quickly, I'm just... You know, it says compassion. It says clothe yourself in compassion. Do you know what compassion is? It's sensitivity turned outwards. A lot of us know compassion because we want it. (laughs) It's knowing what you want, turning it inside out towards others. 
You know, compassion actually is not sympathy because sympathy says I hurt with you when you hurt. Empathy says I feel your pain. But you know what compassion says? I will do everything I can to help you stop that pain. That is compassion in our community. And that builds relationships. To cover yourself in kindness. I'm not gonna go through them all because we don't have time. But to cover yourself with kindness is to give people what they need, not what they deserve. It's what God gave us. Titus 3, 4 actually tells us that Jesus was the kindness of God. And He gave us what we needed, not what we deserved. And as a people, as a church, unified, glorifying God together, as we walk, we need to be kind in our communities. And He goes on to say, humility, gentleness, and patience. I wanna tell you something, Rick Warren, uh, Louis Giglow, we were at the Passion Conference two weeks ago. He said something that is stuck with me. He said, you know, humility is not something you can teach. You either are humble or you're not. Some of us are going like, if I said to you, what's the scale of humility that you have right now? If you give me a percentage, you don't understand what humility is. Because you either are humble or you are not humble. And so that's what Paul's talking about here, that we need to have humility. We need to be humble. Not talk about humility, but actually be it. That we need to be gentle with everyone and patient and that we need to forgive each other. Can we stand quickly as we close in prayer? I know this is quite a hard sermon actually. Um, Yeah, I think I've gone off my notes about 10 times, but I want us to pray quickly. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and I'm gonna quickly ask you to respond so that I can pray for you. If any of the things that you have that you need to take off, put to death and get rid of, if you're struggling with any of these things, I wanna pray for you right now. So every head bowed, every head bowed, please, out of respect for the people around you, I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed, guilt or shame because remember Jesus paid for those things and He knows you by your name and He is calling you into repentance right now. And so this morning, if you're needing to repent of any of that, I'm gonna ask you just to pop your hand up and down as an acknowledgement between you and God and I can just see your hand and pray for you right now if that is you on the count of three one two three just pop your hand up and pop it down thank you thank you Heavenly Father we just pray for each and every single person here Lord that stands before you and acknowledge Lord I have issues in these areas but I thank you because of your grace I'm saved by grace And I thank you, Lord, for the blood that you shed. And so, Lord, even as we turn from our wicked ways, we fall to our knees, we cry out to you, Lord Jesus. Why don't you come back into our hearts? Heal us of these things, Lord Jesus. Your Word says as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. The devil has no power. He can't hold us to anything because you rendered him of his power at the cross. You are victorious. And so we seek you, Lord Jesus, right now, Lord, in our hearts. Won't you help us, bless us to move forward in Jesus' name. If you're standing here with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you haven't got a relationship with Jesus, that is your first step in relationship. That is your first step that changes anything. Now, I don't wanna encourage you to raise your hand. I want you, if you would want a relationship with Jesus between you and God, raising your hand is not an acknowledgement of me. It's an acknowledgement between you and God right now. This is your moment. Today is the day for salvation. Don't wait another day. I wanna pray for you and lead you in a prayer of, of salvation. And all you're gonna do is you're just gonna pop your hand up and pop it down. I'd love to pray for you. So that if, if that is you on the count of three, one, two, three, if you wanna accept that relationship, thank you. Thank you. 
church, pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank You that even while I was a sinner, You still died for me so that I could experience a pure relationship with You. I admit that I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. Lord Jesus, will You come into my heart? Will You transform my heart from the inside out? I want to live for You and I want to serve You for all of my days. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, can we just give a round of applause for those that have made that decision? We've actually come to a close and I'm going to be in trouble because I've preached over as normal. Um, But you guys said you wanted a revival. But in closing, just to let you guys know, if you are new, we'd love to connect with you. Get your coffee cards. We've got coffees ready for you. If you'd love to get into the life of the church, you can either fill in the card in front of the seat in front of you, or you can go to our next desk. On one last chance, as we exit the building, I just wanted to let out one praise for Jesus. And then we see you guys next week as we gather together. All right. One, two, three. Jesus! Amen. Thank you, church. God bless.